All right, we're going to go ahead and bow in prayer. We're going we're to be looking at mothers a little bit today, since oh, it's Mother's Day. Uh, didn't feel like doing the Ephesians, Ephesians pass, uh, passage for today. So let's go and bow in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for mothers. Lord, we thank you for the mothers that we see in the scripture and, and that we're just going to lift that up as we look today. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. We're going to use as our primary text Exodus chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, we're going to look at Jochebed. Now, if many of you know who that is, that's Moses' mother. Uh, so, verse 1. And they went on the end of the house of Levi and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And she saw him, he was goodly child and hid him for three months. And when she could, not, could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and and dubbed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it, laid it in the flags by the river's banks. And his sister stood afar off to see what would happen, what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's bank. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent the maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call for you a nurse of the Hebrew women, so that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. And she called him Moses and said, Because I drew, you, drew him out of the water. We're just looking at this. There's several stories of women, of mothers in the scriptures that I wrestled with for all week trying to figure out which one it would be that I would talk about. But many of them had the same set of parts of the story. The mother's love that's described here. And we're going to look at, we're going to mention two others. We're going to, we're going to quickly mention in Genesis 27, we're going to look at Rebecca. And I'm just going to tell you the story rather than read the whole story. Uh, Rebecca found out that Esau wanted to kill her favorite son, Jacob. And you probably know the story. And so she arranged to protect Jacob by telling him to run to her home, run to her father's home. And so we're going to look a little bit to her. And the other one that we're going to kind of glance at is in 1 Samuel, Hannah. And you know the story of Hannah probably. She didn't have a child. and. And her husband's second wife made life miserable for her because she had lots of kids. <laughs> and so she went to the temple and prayed for a child. And if you remember, her promise was that if God gave her a male child, she would give him back to God forever. You know, so we're going to look at this, some of these things. And the first one, the part we're going to look at in the story of Jacobet is she had the child. And if you remember, that this time Pharaoh was saying that there are too many of them. If it's a male child, it was supposed to be killed by the, by the midwives. And when that didn't work, he said, told the people, throw the, children in, throw the male children into the River Nile. So it's against the law for her to keep this male child. And yet she does. And it says that she could no longer hide the child after three months. And you think about this. How hard would it be to hide an infant? <laughs> 
Now, yes, you can put the infant in a closet with their, or you hide it, but uh, infants have this one problem. <laughs> they like to cry <laughs> when they want something, <laughs> when they want fed, when they, when they need their diaper changed, when they just want attention, they cry. And you can't tell them, be quiet, <laughs> which is probably why she's having a hard time, can't hide them more than three months. Because after, especially three months, they're starting to do things like roll over and get into trouble. You can't just leave them in some place. But you look at this, the sacrifice she's willing to make for her son. She's willing to put her life on the line because her life is on the line at this point. She's violated the law. And she's going to, if they find this child, they're going to kill the child and at least punish her if not kill her. So we have a serious situation in this mother's love stands out. And this is why I was looking at Rebecca, Rebecca's love. You know, her, her, oldest, her, her son Esau, the, the older twin by just a few minutes, but he's the, he's the manly man. He's the one that's, that goes out and does the hunting. He's the one that the father loves because he's the one that does things the father likes. You know, he's the hunter. He's the, you know, I, I kind of picture him. He's got, he's got all the hair. Probably, I, the way I always pictured him, he's the big burly, the big burly son. And, and Jacob is the, maybe not a wimpy one, but comparable to his brother. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that the brother will pick, you know, beat up whenever he wants. You know, you know, Jacob has been hanging around the tents. His mother, he's his mother's favorite. He's learned to cook, which became obvious in the story that he cooked the dinner for his dad and presented it to him. He's the one that has just, you know, and I dare to call him the girly man. <laughs> you know, and so. Esau gets angry because Jacob steals his blessing for it because he's the elder. And God said that Jacob was going to be the one that got blessed. And, the, and, Jake, and, and Israel keeps trying to do everything he can to bless Esau, even though he was told Jacob was going to get the blessing. And the biggest part of the reason he's in that Jacob is in trouble with Esau is because Rebekah had him trick his dad. <laughs> You know, so she set him up to be, have his brother get mad at him in the first place. And then she decides she's going to protect him. That love of her, the mother. You know, how many times, especially mothers, but sometimes dads as well, do we get in trouble trying to protect our kids from bad things happening to them? You know, we tend to do that as parents, period. But especially moms have that heart that I can't see, you know, They've got to have this money to pay for the food because the, kid, the grandkids will go hungry or I don't want them to go hungry. Now, it doesn't, doesn't matter we've been helping them for five years <laughs> and they still haven't got a job. <laughs> we just can't let them suffer. That's the heart of a parent, but especially the heart of a mother. And mothers make those kind of sacrifices all the time, sometimes to the hurt of the, hurt of the children, uh, but not always. Mothers. God has put a heart into mothers that is special. <laughs> they, will, they will care for their children. You know. uh, they will want the children to call them when they're on a trip. You know, doesn't matter how old you are. When you finally get to your trip, call me so I know you're home, so I don't worry about you. Uh, you know, well, hey, Mom, I've been on trips for, <laughs> for the last 50 years. I've never had any problems. You know. but you've got to call Mom to let her know you're home you know, because that's just the way it is because they're going to worry about you. They're the ones that usually sit up when the child isn't, you know, is sick. They're the ones that takes care of the ch children when they're sick. 
They're the ones that will skip out of work when the child needs to stay home from school for, for illness. The love of the mother, the willingness to sacrifice everything they have, and we see this with Jacob, that she's willing to sacrifice. Not only is she willing to sacrifice, but you look at the sacrifice they make for, for their kids. When, when Moses gets too big to be able to be stuck in a corner and stay, and she can't hide him any longer, what does she do? She puts him in a little basket. Can you imagine what it would have been to put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River? Okay. Now, the Nile River has just a few obstacles to have to deal with. Alligators <laughs> or crocodiles, whichever the two is in, in the Nile, but big, big reptiles that want to eat things. <laughs> and it is not a safe place for her to put the child but she decided that it was better for him there, <laughs> where he might come across somebody that would keep him, than not being put in there. Now, she did put Miriam in charge of watching him to see what happened. And can you imagine Miriam? You know, we don't know how old she was. We know she's older than Moses, quite obviously. And, older. and, and she's watching, and the princess is the one that picks up Moses. The princess, Pharaoh, her dad, has commanded that all these children are to be thrown into the river. It's kind of interesting that Jacob <laughs> technically did what, the, what, uh, what Pharaoh said to do. She threw him in the river. Um, I don't think he put in there that you had to couldn't put him in a, in a basket to float. <laughs> she, she, kind of, she kind of was obedient, put him in the river. But Pharaoh's daughter, you would think that what she should have done, obviously, when she found this Hebrew baby, was tossing back in the river without the, without the basket. But she had a tenderness, and it said he cried when she looked in. And I suppose that you know, most mothers, most women in general, when they have an infant that cries, their first instinct is to pick the child up, whether it's theirs or not. Uh, you know, I'm a typical man. An infant is just something you look at as it messes its diaper and needs to be fed all the time. <laughs> Uh, you know, but all women, it seems like all women, this is the greatest, uh, most beautiful thing they've ever seen, and they just have to hold the baby. And I'm more like the man who wants to wait till the kid's about three or four years old, and you can play with the kid. Uh, you know, used to drive my wife crazy when I take the two or three year old and throw him up in the air and catch him. <laughs> uh, you can't do that with an infant. <laughs> You've got to get big enough that if you do miss them, they don't get hurt. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you don't miss them. You don't miss them, obviously. But. But I also used to wrestle with my kids, four kids wrestling with me, and I'd make a stack of kids, <laughs> a tower of kids. You know. But we look at this, her sacrifice, and the, actually even the sacrifice of the princess who picked him up, her disobedience to her father <laughs> was kind of interesting as well. Because like I said, her, her instinct should have been just throw this child back in the river. And without, and without the basket this time. And yet she kept him. We look at Hannah in her story. She prays for, she prays for man, a boy child, gets him, and keeps him until he's weaned. Now, one thing you want to remember back then, in our day, we tried to, to wean our children from, from the breastfeeding quickly. <laughs> now, if you're still breastfeeding two, three years into into in our day and age, that's considered odd. In their day, it wasn't. 
You kept that child, you weaned them, you, you didn't wean them until they were five years old, some cases even older. Okay, these children were breastfed for a long time. But it had that intimacy, mom was home, mom didn't have to get out and work. She kept Samuel. But you know the other thing she did during this time that she kept Samuel? She taught him. She taught him about God. Now, how many mothers are the primary ones to teach their children about God? Now, the sad thing is the, the Bible commands the men, the fathers, to raise up their children. And it used to be a lot easier when you were at home. You were on the farm. You could teach your, teach your children all the time. But it's been abdicated in our day and age to the women for the most part. We see it even in churches. One of the things that really saddens me in most churches, especially big churches that shouldn't be this way, is how many times it's all women teaching the kids all the way up to sometimes you don't see the, won't see a man teacher in their in their in the Sunday school until almost junior high or high school if you're lucky. And it's sad because that's telling all those boys that grow up that God that men don't serve God. You know, and while I'm on that, you know, men we need to do better. We need to do better raising our grandkids, our children, the children that come to church. They need to be taught. And they need, especially the boys, need to see men teaching them. But in the fact that most men don't teach their kids, it's great to have the, the mothers teach. Somebody needs to teach these kids. And if the men aren't going to do their jobs, the women need to. And it's good they both do it. And so we see Hannah teaching her son. And if you know the story of Samuel, he gets to be sent to the temple. And he gets to be the la he gets to be the pro the last judge of Israel, and prophet and prophet, and he honors God. It just shows how great a job she did, teaching her son. Here we see Jochebed teaching. Obviously, has taught Moses because later on, the next story we have is Moses is starting to become dissatisfied with being the prince of Egypt, watching the Hebrew people being abused. And if you know the story, he goes out and he finds one of the Hebrew servants being beat by, by a slave, slave driver, and he kills that, he kills that uh, one that was beating the servant. Hides his body, and that ends up meaning that he has to leave <laughs> for murder. He apparently knew something about his history of the Jews and was able to be a leader with them. Why? I really believe it's that his mother got to nurse him. <laughs> and got to spend those formative years teaching them about God. And that's speculative, and I admit that's speculative, but I truly believe that that's what she did. She was of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. Her husband would have, been a, would have, been a, in, in the, would have worked in the temple if it had been at the right time. He probably helped <laughs> teach. And they raised up Moses. And that would have been something any one of us would have done. If we can train up our child with our way of thinking, and then he goes to the palace, maybe he'll remember. Maybe he'll remember. Maybe they even had in the back of their mind, maybe he'll be our deliverer. Now, might have to wait till he gets old enough to take the throne, but maybe he'll be the one that will release us. Speculative again, but you know, probably. Probably they go, we, we, we got an insider in the, in the court. We're going to have an inquiry. He's, he's going to be a prince. And we train him up. 
And this is important for us to understand. When we train up our children, our grandchildren, our, you know, whoever else we have in, out there, what you put down in people's thought patterns in their early life stay and influence the rest of their life. And for those of us who got saved in an early life, we know that it was pretty easy getting through because we had the grounding of the Word of God early on. Those of you who got saved later in life, how many times have you got in trouble because the grounding of your you know, early days is in conflict to the way you want to live today? Now, on the one hand, Sean, but I know that's true because I've talked to many people where it's true. Because of what you got grounded in, the, the wrong patterns that you started in lead oftentimes to, a bad, to rough, bad decisions later on. And we want to be able to look and say, we've trained up. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Doesn't mean that it won't, but it means that they've got the core. You know the hardest part of your, your thinking is the core thoughts that you have, what is in your very core? You can change your habits. You can change your outward activities. But we fight so often against that core. And we are sinful beings. We have the flesh. We have the soul. And Paul described it very well. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Why? Because at the very core of our being, we are sinners. No matter how much God has changed us, no matter how much he's cleaned us up, at the very core of our being, we are sinners. And we will choose to do sin unless we are following God closely. The more we read our Bible, the more we come to church, the more we listen to teaching, the more we study, the more we will be able to live in a way that's not following the sinful lifestyle. Sad thing is, the sinful lifestyle will always pop up. It just has this habit of popping up and saying, I'm, I want to be listened to. And because we are sinful beings, it is the first thought that pops into our mind. <laughs> okay? And we want to keep that in mind. My first thought will always be a flesh's thought. Now, I can be walking so close to God and in his word and praying and studying that his thought follows so quick on it that I think it's first. But my flesh will always be the first thought. You know, when somebody attacks you physically or verbally, what is the first thing you want to do? You want to get right back in their face. You know, you can't talk to me that way. You can't do that to me. Now, sometimes our spirit goes right behind her and says, no, we're going to love them. We're going to forgive them. We're going to be kind to them. But usually it comes after we've reacted, doesn't it? <laughs> you can't say that about me. I, you, and you, you go off on them. These women were able to teach their children and, and ground them in God's word. It's important to be grounded in God's word. And it's important that, to be able to get into it and learn. And I've, I've told many people, and we've shared this, uh, can we get to know God's word without a teacher and without coming to church? Oh, yeah, you can. But it's like everything else. It'll take you a lot longer to learn without coming to church and being taught. It's like trying to do a car repair, and all you've had is a video that you've watched. <laughs> you know, can you get it done? Yes. Is it going to be done as quickly as if somebody had shown you the shortcuts that they've learned? <laughs> no. Probably the same in sewing or knitting or crocheting. You can learn from a book, but isn't it easier to learn from somebody else? You know, we want to be able to say, how do we plant seeds? How do we set people in the right direction? The sad thing I deal with is when I talk with people, they go, 
well, I didn't do this according to the Bible. Now I need biblical direction on how to fix the problem. And then it's like, you so much want to say, well, go back and change what you did in the first place. Do it right. Because to try to apply the, the Bible's answer when you've already done it wrong is hard. You can just tell them what they need to do going forward. And that usually doesn't fix the problem. People who commit fornication and end up getting pregnant and having a child, then they go, well, what do I do? Raise a child to the best of, your, best of your ability with best of your ability. You already violated the first principle. Go forward as best you can. And it's hard. The more we violate God's principles in anything, the harder we make our life going forward. The liar has a hard time because once they start getting in a pattern of lying, they want to lie and, they, and nobody trusts them anymore. Now, we all know people who they've lied to you so many times that even if, they, even if they came and you think they're telling the truth, you don't want to act on it because you don't know. We've all been there. They set a pattern. They weren't obedient to God. We, we may know some people who are thieves. They've stolen from you so many times that you don't trust them. You, know, you may not even invite them into your house because you don't want them to see what's there for them to come take. And you just don't trust them. And the hard thing is, if somebody like that gets saved and they truly change their life, they've got a lot to get over. Because it's hard for them, for people to trust them. And we need to be careful in trusting them as well because the old habits are still there. We also have to give them mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope that God has changed who they are. Because that has happened too. But if we drive them too hard, they'll go back to their old ways. Have you ever changed something in your life and then nobody believed you and so you just finally say, well, it's not worth it, I give up? They don't believe it anyway, so I'm just going to go back to the way I lived in the past. Not the attitude you should have, but it's understandable from the flesh's point of view. How much has God changed you? God's wanting to come into our life. When we get saved, God can change us completely. Matter of fact, that's his promise. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation when you're saved. And we need to live in that new creation. We, we become a creation where the Spirit is alive, God has filled our life, and we have the opportunity to, for Him to pour out of us and live and touch people's lives. Sometimes it takes a long time to get over the past. But God works the difference. He crucifies the flesh and He lives out of us. And so we look at these things and and this whole idea of just training up your children. Training up. No, no. Most everybody, I don't think anybody in this room has kids anymore <laughs> that are they're in home. But we all probably have grandkids around, nieces, nephews. Do you take the opportunity to spiritually train your grandchildren when they're around you? Do you encourage them to live for God? And some people will, well, my kids don't live for God. Why would they do it? Well, forget your kids at that point. You did, you've done it or not done it, but you've got a next generation to try to get hold of. Teach them. Keep working on your kids, by the way. Uh, you know, don't, don't hound them too hard if they're not receptive because then, they will, then they'll stop talking to you altogether. <laughs> but keep working on them. Keep bringing God into the picture. I, I showed you, when I, when I was working as a restaurant manager, I used to love going in and telling people, you know, look what, you know what God did for me yesterday? <laughs> and most of these guys were not saved. <laughs> and they'd look at me like, okay, yeah, you're going to tell us another story about God. 
But you know, they also knew that I was going to tell them a story about God. <laughs> so did many of them come to, to know God through those stories? I don't know. All I know is I planted seeds. I was a manager. I couldn't push too hard because then you get into this whole idea of, you know, of, of uh, over, over influence and everything. But boy, I used to love it at the end of a, uh, end of a rough time. And they go, why are you still smiling? It's been a hard day. I'm I am so glad you asked. <laughs> and then they get the gospel. <laughs> do we take those times to give the gospel to people? Do we share the gospel? Do we live a life that says to people, I am a new creation? I am living for God? You know, are, you, are you just like the world? You grumble and gripe and and complain about everything that happens to you, or go, are you holding on to God and saying, God, I may not know why, but you're, you're still in control? It's easy getting through the hard times if you're a Christian. You go, God has promised that all things work together for good. God is sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens to us unless God allows it and knows about it. If you truly believe these truths, when you go through hard times, you say, God, and you might go, God, I don't understand it, but <laughs> I have done that many times. As I hold on to that little verse saying, all things work together for good, God, I don't understand any of this, but you say it's for good. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know how it could be, but you say it is. And just grab hold of his truth. It is important to grab hold of his truth because it is all we have sometimes, is to grab hold of his truth and say, God, this is your promise. God, you have promised us heaven. You have promised us rewards in heaven. You've also promised to give us all our needs. Now, the sad thing here in America especially is sometimes we mix up wants with needs. You know, most of the world, they're happy if they have one meal a day or two. And that when, in much of the world, that's a, a scoop of rice. And if we don't have three square meals and, and food in the refrigerators, we're going, God, you haven't taken care of us. Okay, we need to be careful and say, is what I'm upset about a need or not? And for most of us in America, if we skipped a few meals, nothing's going to hurt us. I didn't get this big by, by, by being deprived. <laughs> uh, you know, and most of us in America are the same way. If we missed several meals, we're not going to be deprived, and yet God's very gracious to us. So we just want to keep this in mind the love of our children. Fathers and mothers are both that way. We love our children. We want the best for our children. We want our children to do better than we did, whatever that status is. The sad thing now is most of our children want to be better, higher and better than we are from the start. They don't want to start at the ground floor and work their way up, which is causing lots of problems in this world. You know, we got, we got people, you know, we see it on the news. They want $15 an hour to flip, flip burgers at Burger, Burger King and McDonald's. Okay. Uh, the only problem is you can create a machine to do that. So if they're not careful, they're going to work, work themselves right out of jobs, period. And those machines already exist to be able to take their jobs. They've just been held back because it cost, wasn't cost effective to buy the machine. We need to teach people it's hard work. Hard work gets you where you want. Doing things you love for work. And I, when I went back to college, I used to share with some of these people because I was in the number one career because it fit my desires. And then people would come, I don't like this. I'm going, change, change majors then because if you don't like it now, you're not going to like it for when you're in the workforce. 
you know, go find something you love. If you're doing something you love, you'll, you'll make money at it, or at least be happy. If you're doing something you hate, you're not going to be happy, and you're going to be miserable. But God is wanting us to serve him. You know, have you ever thought about that? He wants us to serve him. The servant does what the master desires. God has given us a whole book full of what he wants us to do. All we have to do is live according to it. And so my challenge for us is let's be servants. Let's work with our children, our grandchildren. Let's teach them God's word. Because if the church doesn't get active and busy changing their thoughts in life, it's lost. Mm -hmm. They're lost. And we need to, as parents, get out and reach our kids. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have just to celebrate mothers today, Lord, but also parenthood, that you will honor our desires to go forward with you, that you will keep us and, and work with us. And we just thank you for all that you've done in your son's name. Amen.